0: We're live. Welcome in, everybody. It's Friday, March 10th, one o'clock central, 102 central. Uh, make sure you can hear us okay. Make sure you can see us okay. I just came uh, from a career fair at our local middle school. Our neighbor's kid uh, was there and I went as a YouTuber. And there's a, I want to give a huge shout out to Cody. Cody, if you're watching this, I hope uh, Aaron and Travis uh, have this picture pulled up. Uh, it was awesome to see you there and all your classmates. Uh, it was, oh, man, I have a sheet of paper. I'm supposed to shout out a bunch of kids. Dang. Uh, okay, producer wife, if you can find that, we'll do that later this this, uh, <laughs> this show. But yeah, it was awesome kind of uh, seeing all the kids there that had a bunch of questions. I was getting compared to Mr. Beast a lot, which really destroyed my confidence. And it was great. That was really fun. Uh, but no, it was super fun to to talk all to all the kids. Uh, brilliant, brilliant uh, um, school here, man. Everybody there is so cool. But anyway, just wanted to give a shout out to Cody and all his classmates. Thank you so much for coming out. I hope uh, you all had fun. And uh, yeah, a lot to talk about today in, in the world of Tesla. Uh, A lot of things. I'm here joined by Hans, Billy, Brian, Kuba, community members, all these folks that support the channel and they're part of our private Discord. Uh, If you want to be part of these discussions, uh, you can join right below this video by clicking on join. You'll get access to the private Discord and you also get access to member-only content, uh, which will go live right after this uh, forum is done. And one of the cool things we're doing is half of the earnings from these community forums on Fridays go to a community fund where the community, uh, the folks on this uh, panel, plus all the other ones watching from home get to decide what to do with those funds we can freaking eat ice cream we can eat seventeen thousand pounds of ice cream or we can build a school i don't know we'll figure it out okay so but yeah thank you all very much for supporting the channel Uh, i do want to get started with uh, welcoming in billy this is uh, billy's first time on these public community forums uh it's not scary at all and he clearly looks calm and collected because he's cool so welcome in uh billy and there's cody again hi cody (laughs) (laughs) Uh, welcome in billy uh how you doing good thanks for having me of course man it's my pleasure my pleasure so the, the thing i want to get started with is Cybertruck. so there was a video that was on uh, a today from uh oh my god he's got uh three first names it was one of those things never trust a guy with uh three first names i'm kidding uh matthew Donegan ryan uh if we can pull up his video producer wife when you get a chance i've uh link to YouTube uh, channel. So Matthew Donegan Ryan published a video two hours ago. If you don't follow him, be sure to follow him on YouTube. And he unveiled a bunch of information about the Cybertruck that was not previously known. And uh, some of the highlights, which I'll go through very quickly, is we've got some pretty accurate dimensions of what the production is going to be, which is going to be fascinating to talk through. Uh, Another highlight is that all Uh, Cybertrucks will come standard with uh, all-wheel steering. It will also uh, have a six-foot bed, which is about half half a foot longer than your standard F-150 crew cabs. We knew that, but we basically got got confirmation. We also got confirmation that it will be a five-seat configuration, not a six-seat configuration. And then that Tesla, this was the one that really surprised me, was that Tesla has its own accessories team in-house, vertically integrated, and a lot of the reason why is, is so that they can uh, really leverage the new 48-volt architecture, which would have been tough to do by bringing on other, uh, say, a third party to do accessories because most of the car supply chain and accessory market is really built on the, the, the old, I guess, 12-volt uh, um, infrastructure or whatever you want to call that. So let's go ahead and pull up. Uh, we'll start with the um, specs, producer wife, the picture I sent you on Discord. Uh, when you get a second, if you can pull that up and we'll go through that first. But Hans, Billy, Kuba, or Brian, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to watch this video. We'll kind of walk through the different things we, we've heard, but who wants to sort of sh- share some thoughts as I have this up? Any any thoughts you took away from this video? Anything you'd like to hone in specifically from the panel? Any questions or, or comments as we read this? I have not uh, seen the video yet. Okay. Hans, I know, I know you, you you saw some of it, watched some of it. What was uh, what were some of the things that you took away? Yeah,
1: I think my biggest takeaway that was exciting was the fact that essentially, uh, so Matthew is a Raptor owner. I think he's owned, maybe he said two Raptors already. He's owned six F-150s. Um, and I know uh, he talked about at least one of them, if not multiples being Raptors, that he's looking at the Cybertruck as being essentially a direct equivalent to a raptor at least on the performance spec version which he thought would probably be a tri-motor more than likely um he's not apparently in conversations that he had with management team it's not necessarily going to be a or it's not definitively going to be a quad motor it may be a tri-motor but anyways that the upper level trim of the cybertruck is going to be yeah basically outperform the raptor in almost every way and then it's uh you know Got a six-inch longer bed for a wheelbase and overall dimensions that are slightly less than a Raptor. Um, the pneumatic suspension is going to be able to give Baja performance. Um, so a lot of a lot of cool things there. And then you know we'll have to see what they come in at with pricing. But based on the fact that many of the innovations that Tesla unveiled at Investor Day to basically simplify manufacturing in the Gen 3 platform have already been implemented in the Cybertruck. And so we know that, yeah, the Cybertruck has this 48 volt architecture instead of 12. Um, We know that the Cybertruck has an increased number of in-house manufactured electronics modules. Um, We know that obviously it has no paint shop. It may be that they can even implement some of the modular assembly that they talked about for Gen 3 platform, where they can do the rear casting um, with the seats and assemble that as a module, the front casting and the whole front of the car assembly, um, and then do something. The one question that I have is with the exoskeleton, I don't know that they can do um, the side panel assembly as modularly as they showed in the model y um visualization during the presentation so if there may be increased efficiency sorry increased efficiency on the smaller car assembly than is possible with the Cybertruck, just due to the nature of the exoskeleton um, but yeah basically all of that says that they should be able to offer this in a pure electric drivetrain vehicle at a price point that actually is lower than the Raptor and outcompetes it, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. And I think this is the thing that is missed by a lot of the pundits and analysts, that they're all expecting Tesla to bring vehicles into the market that are not significantly greater value for the price than their direct competitors, and it's just like they forget that the Model Y or the Model Three vastly outcompete their ICE equivalents. Um, and so, you know, someone from Morgan Stanley can think that, hey, yeah, we're going to sell fifty thousand Cybertrucks. But if you can sell a Cybertruck that is better than a Raptor at the price that's only slightly more than the base F one fifty. Consumers are going to take notice. Like that's not something that's going to sell 50,000 units, which is less than like the Model S and the X, which are more expensive and less capable vehicles. I mean, if you talk to any sort of fleet operator, this is going to be a shoe in and a no brainer, like the economic case writes itself. So anyways, that those were my big takeaways from watching the video and analyzing investor day and a lot of the post event nonsense.
0: Any other thoughts from the panel? Go ahead, Brian.
2: Yeah, so I did uh, write that article on the economic case and analysis, um, so I have that in the the chat. So Hold basically, I um, <clears throat> took the um, uh, a formula from um, a journal of um, energy or whatever, and ha- got the formula, which is uh, was used by other. YouTubers, uh, there was a guy who did, you know, engineering explained whatever, who used that formula. And basically take the aerodynamics, the cross section, um, coefficient of drag. So the things that you know, when you know the dimensions of the vehicle, then you can get to the efficiency. And I use it off the base of you apply that formula to the Tesla Semi. So we know the Tesla Semi can drive, you know, 530 miles under load for the 500 mile version. Roughly a thousand kilowatt hours, maybe down to 900 something. And when you apply that formula to it, it's the upon upon the speed they, they drove. So if they drove at 52 miles an hour or they drove 60 miles per hour, you know the different efficiencies, right? So if they drove faster, which they were on section, because they say they were driving 60 miles, overtaking a vehicle, <clears throat> you know they were driving faster for parts of it, but we don't know the entire average speed. If they said okay, they were driving 60 miles per hour, then that 500 mile some drive was 13% off optimal for this formula, right? If they drove slower, then it's 27% off optimal, right? Because then, then they, the slower speed when you had more efficiency anyway. So they've said that they would use the Plaid in Plaid motors and the drivetrain for the Cybertruck, right? So the Tesla Semi shows that. <clears throat> The Tesla engines, Princeton uh, so Motors and drivetrain, 1,000, um, you know, down the bolt system, whatever like that, can have this level of efficiency where basically um, the weight you move does not impact the range. Because basically an empty uh, semi, you know, which would be about like um, uh, 10 tons, 11 tons or something like that, maybe 12 tons, an empty one would only get like 650 miles of range right? So you go from 650 down to 550. So basically, you increase the weight by, you know, almost 4x. And it still doesn't drop the range that much because it is built to to move stuff. Similarly, the Cybertruck would have that too. By my calculation, a combined weight of Cy- Cybertruck 6000 pounds 6500 pounds with you know, 100 kilowatt hours of, of batteries, even 200 kilowatt hours of batteries, also moving payload of, you know, up to like 9,000 pounds, get to 50,000 pounds. And you drop from, you know, 500 miles of range down to 400 some miles of range, right? That's it. Um, that's almost nothing, right? So in context, a Ford F-150 gasoline version typically has a 23 gallon tank. It drives 20 miles empty. And it drops down to nine miles per gallon um uh with a big payload right so then that means it goes from 460 miles of range down to 207 right the ford lightning goes from you know three or some miles of range or 250 and drops down below 100 you can watch youtubers who own those vehicles say and then i pull something i put something in the payload thing and the, the mileage when i'm pulling something moving something drops massively for the ford lightning Right. But same thing for the Model X, same thing for the Rivian. The, the, the Rivian and the Model X do better than the Ford Lightning, but still not as great and not as good as the gasoline vehicle. So when I talk to contractors, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not necessarily considering, I was considering Lightning before because it looked like it would be the work vehicle, but then it doesn't tow anything. So I can't get it. Right. So, you know, talking to guys who have work trucks. Say, I cannot get it because it doesn't tow stuff. I need to put stuff into it and needs to move range. So if you use the semi-tech with the motor and drivetrain, um, no, you know, even if I make, you know, I, I gave, you know, assumptions of you know 15% capacity, extra capacity, you know, other assumptions to not like say it's the optimal thing, right? That it will outrange um a, a four vehicle. There's, you know, some platinum things, other things, we get a bigger, um, a bigger fuel tank. And then that still goes down to 300 some miles so they can compete with these high-end things. If you get a super duper tank, you know, 60, out, you know, then you fine. you can start ranging the, uh, then the, 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 the so yeah.
0: So let me, let me try to, uh, conceptualize this. And so, and then I'll, I'll throw it over to you Hans real quick. So the, the whatever tech they're using in, in semi today, which we have uh, numbers for, where we, we we know how much is pulling a, a full load, that technology for the battery and the drivetrain and the powertrain seems to allow it to uh, go very far under load, especially versus uh, current gas cars and things like the Rivian, the Model X, uh, and other cars as well. So if the thought process is if you move the tech from the semi into the Cybertruck and you use the same technology, then under full load, the Cybertruck should be able to pull just as not as long, if not longer, than the equivalent gas truck because of those breakthroughs in the drivetrain. Is that is that a- correct? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, That's correct. got it. Hans, go for it.
1: So my questions on that are really twofold. Based on my understanding of physics, the reason that semi can be so efficient is that they have the best-in-class regen capability. And so, you know, if you're accelerating that mass in the semi, but then you capture all the energy that you put into it on the regen, that you can get really good range. And then The second part that is very unique to Samurai that we're not going to have in Cybertruck is that it's both loaded and unloaded frontal area and aerodynamic profile are going to be the same, whereas with a Cybertruck, obviously, if you're not pulling a trailer, you have one aerodynamic profile versus if you are pulling a trailer, you have a very different aerodynamic profile. And so you can't necessarily say, you know, unless you've got some sort of a trailer that is as small like if you're pulling a pop-up potentially that is a low drag pop-up that you you might be able to kind of match your your aerodynamic profile loaded and unloaded or if you're only carrying something you know in the bed Mm -hmm. um so yeah how does how do those things play in
2: as far as you can tell right so definitely if you change the aerodynamics if i'm pulling a um a uh shipping container right then the cross section increases to you know nine feet by eight feet can go 72 instead of being about like 35 square feet now right so if i increase the cross section right then the efficiency drops i think roughly in line with the increase of cross section so if i double the cross section then you know i've half the half the range
1: yeah right? it's proportional and then the other factor is also the different you'll have a completely different coefficient of drag too because if the trailer is not made to be
2: aerodynamic like right. the uh like the cyber truck itself right so thus i believe there's a the massive um business and opportunity for companies to make aerodynamic trailers for evs right that you would want to do that you probably want to do that for for uh a gasoline vehicle too because they are also fighting physics as well right um so the formula takes into account you know um what uh slopes you know if you're going uphill downhill stuff like that. you can say okay i go from flat you know neutral wind blah 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 to i'm now pulling this other thing so yes it, you definitely would want to um uh, reduce your aerodynamic impacts beyond if it's behind and you kind of connect it. So if you, you have the vehicle going like this, you'd want to have a integration, just the way the um the semi kind of smoothly integrates to the, the shipping container, right? I'd want to integrate that that thing in with you know having those kind of like flap things that kind of fold down or do whatever to integrate to the to the rear thing. And then if it's a cross section stays the same, then I can still tow a large amount and not have that have That impact so, but the better than F 150 thing, even if I make the um, um, I can, I can, if because I, I say 400 miles, so I can get half of that. I could have aerodynamics half as bad, uh, drag coefficients, you know, other things totaling up to you know half as good as as a, a bear cybertruck, and I'm still getting like 200 miles, right? So, way better. Than those things. I think it's all those other things. If I'm doing a Ford Lightning and I'm towing this big thing, my range is, is dropping way down. It's, it's going down to 70, 60, it's same thing for cold weather. All the, all the things that affect stuff affects all the other EVs, EV trucks as well, right? And you're starting from this high base of, I can start tossing more weight onto it and it's vir- having virtually no impact. If the impact is the aerodynamics and the um, and the, and the cross section. Right. That makes
0: sense, especially once you get going, right? Like once you get right. going, Let's it's all go. than it makes. Let's do a billion then Cuba.
3: Well, I just had a quick question on um, when making those calculations, um, going back to the semi, they have the two kind of torque motors and then the one cruising motor. Would that only be available on that tri-motor um, pickup or Cybertruck and then the dual motor or the single motor that wouldn't have that kind of changing motor that makes it more efficient
2: when you're cruising? So I believe you would need to get, you know, comparable to semi, you would need a three or four motor configuration of some kind, right? Where it engages, disengages and does whatever. If, what does Tesla do with a two motor or one motor? Uh, I don't know, right? How much efficiency do you get from getting the thousand volt drivetrain? Other stuff like that, unclear. I think a lot of it has to do with having a tuned plaid engine uh, to torque load, you know, to have have that, you know, get get the get it moving. I believe a lot of the efficiencies related to that. We will see when it comes comes out. Um, but so the the interesting thing about and it goes to that you know fifty thousand cult car thing that Morgan Stanley put out is that if I'm correct based on physics formulas and putting semi-tech into that thing. Like, let's say the the high-end version of Cybertruck with semi-tech costs an extra 40K, 50K, whatever, right? That immunity to weight, uh, a payload, means that I can make it an official class four, class three vehicle, right? I can have it move. uh, A class four vehicle means 15,000 pounds combined weight. Vehicle, truck, 6,000 pounds, 7,000 pounds, plus the, the payload, get up to 15,000 pounds. That's a class four vehicle. So I'm pretty sure that the inflation Drug act means instead of 7,500 bucks for a regular car, truck-like vehicle moving, uh... moving, whatever, even class four can get the $40,000, right? So now $30,000 for that. Other things is California has something called HVIP, and uh, New York has something too, class four vehicles off that. Like so, you get uh, like one hundred fifty thousand dollars, one hundred twenty thousand dollars off for a class eight vehicle off the California, the New York thing. Um, but class four vehicle still gets sixty thousand dollars. So federal and 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 the state one can
0: get Cybertruck for free,
2: a hundred thousand dollars. No if way. If you if you have um, but the the the, the issue would be that. They seem to top out at like $2 billion, $4 billion. So the first people to go for work trucks, you know, so you get the semi-truck, if you're making them the volume, you get, you get cyber trucks and stuff like that. So the federal thing, the 40K for 10 years, until they wipe that out, is giving cyber work trucks 40K off. And then certain states, certain provinces, certain countries, whatever like that, if they're giving class four goodies out, until that runs out, cyber truck, Work trucks can suck those out too. So initially, so,
0: 100. Okay. Let me just make sure I get this straight, Brian, because you just yeah. said something that's a little worrisome. Okay. So okay. you're saying that if Cybertruck classifies as a class four, it's class four, which yeah. means that it can pull 15,000 pounds.
2: Right. Is that the, vehicle, the total,
0: the net weight is 15,000 pounds.
2: Growth weight combined.
0: Gross weight combined. Yeah. Yep. Is uh, 15,000 pounds. That the cyber truck in the United States would be eligible for a $40,000 tax credit through the a federal government and a $60,000 tax credit through the California government. And New, right. and New York. And New York.
2: And New York. Right. Until the California thing, the California thing is only funded for a couple billion dollars. So, you know, you'd blow through those in the, you know, five thousand, ten thousand, 10,000, whatever vehicles of class eight, class fours.
0: What's the likelihood? And Cuba, I swear to God, I'll go to you next, I promise. What's the likelihood that Cybertruck will classify for class four?
2: I, I see that as, uh, as a, a free thing for Tesla to make their, their top end version, their halo vehicle at the top end. Like, why wouldn't you go for that? And then the other thing would be uh, if I have this beast uh, top end version vehicle. Then I have a halo effect. All the work guys saying, "Oh, I'm not sure if I want a Cybertruck. It looks too pretty." Blah blah blah. And it's like this thing is is moving, you know, uh, shipping containers. It, it's it's uh, moving massive payloads. Then it thinks, okay, it 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 becomes a beast, right? So the Cybertruck beast is, even if I only sell ten thousand of them, whatever. That whole, you know, the work truck guys know it is the one I want, right?
0: Cuba, then Hans, I still, I don't know how to wrap my head around this. Cuba, then Hans, go.
4: (laughs) Neither do I (laughs) after such a bombshell. I just had a tiny tidbit to add regarding aerodynamics coming back to the previous discussion. How important is aerodynamics? I can give you an example from my own experience because I have a Model S, uh, Model 3, uh, long range, and I have a tow hook on which I sometimes transport some bikes. And so three bikes, let's say they weigh 100 pounds, so it's not a weight issue, but just those bikes at the back of the car, uh, the highway range falls from about 200 pounds to 120, just because of the aerodynamics. So that's, yeah, that's that's very, mightily important.
0: Uh, Hans, go for it. I'm just looking,
1: so I'm looking at Ford's website and I'm looking, I just looked Googled Ford class four pickup truck and it's seems to be telling me that the F650 is the lowest class four Ford truck. The gas 650 uses a 7.3 liter, uh, v8 that makes 335 horsepower and 468 foot pounds of torque Um, i like we know definitively that the plaid powertrain makes much more horsepower and much more torque than those specs and so the question is is the suspension able to like they have to go with a very beefy frame and suspension in order to be able to support towing trailers that have the type of both tongue weight and just overall, yeah, overall weight. But I'm, I don't know, like, yeah, Brian just dropped this on us, so I hadn't had much time to think about it, but I don't think it's completely outside the realm of possibilities that
0: a Cybertruck truck could... uh, so, real quick, let me let me pull up a link and then we'll go to Billy. Can you pull up that link I just put in the private chat? And Brian, if you can find I'm trying to find this class for forty thousand dollars EV credit. So if you can find the source for me, that would be fantastic. Um because I just I don't if I just don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it basically means free trucks for everybody in California, and New York. So Congress approves incentive boost for EV truck purchases. Biden expected to sign bill uh, providing tax credit for up to $40,000 per truck. This is as of August 12th, 2022. So this is right around when the bill was passed. This is the IRA tax credit. So scroll down a little bit to the area that is highlighted in purple. And then zoom in for me so we can all read this together. Um, Zoom in as much as you can. Keep going. Can you do a couple more there, producer wife? Let's see how far you can get in there. Stupid ad. Thank you. So in addition to providing grants for zero emission port equipments, medium and heavy duty trucks, including those used for long haul freight, uh, can take advantage of tax credits in the bill for both electric vehicle purchases and for purchasing and installing battery charging uh, infrastructure. The EV purchase tax credit covers either the vehicle's incremental cost, the price difference between a diesel truck and the electric counterpart, or 30% of the truck's purchase price, whichever is less. The incentive is capped at $40,000 per vehicle purchase. The infrastructure credit provides up to $100,000 per charger. So I guess it's a different setup. But because new heavy-duty electric trucks can cost $300,000 and up, the legislation seems to be geared more towards incentivizing the purchase of smaller vehicles such as cargo vans or box trucks used for short-haul package delivery in urban areas. Uh, Bea Spiller, uh, director of the transportation program at the Nonprofit Research Group uh, for the Future, which studies the implications of of vehicle electrification. Okay, very good. Uh, Scroll down a little bit more for me. Um, Let's keep going, keep going, keep going. Uh, Okay. The cost differential between EVs and internal combustion engine long haul trucks can be hundreds of thousands of dollars with 40,000 being a fraction of the cost differential. Whether this will move the needle for larger long haul trucks remains to be seen. So, okay. So, and then it says the third paragraph down uh, where the quotes start in the middle there. At the same time, I question whether a 40,000 incentive for a new fully electric class seven or class eight vehicle, which can be three times the cost of a diesel fuel equivalent will be enough to make a difference. So I, I'm trying, can you do, uh, can you search so,
2: for class four? So maybe I, it doesn't do class four. Maybe you have to have a class seven vehicle because the, the okay. if a vehicle weight greater than 14,000 pounds, um, so the, the um, semi by my calculation, 22, 23,000 pounds. So if you drop down to 14,000, then the the trailer, the the thing pulling the thing has to be 14,000 pounds. So then you have to have a class six or seven vehicle in order to get the the 40K. Um, Got it. There's other things that class fours, and definitely class four, uh, California, New York qualify. Um, I I would have expected more stuff at the federal level for the class four. There is California laws about um, or regulations that they have to phase out uh all uh you know or large chunks of the commercial gasoline trucks by certain dates they you know 20 percent by 2030 or 25 so they have some stuff where they're, they're forcing you know electrification I I thought those rules um classified for class four as well as you know five six seven eight whatever vehicles okay um so if there was something in there and again this goes into the weeds of like what's in that regulation thing, and what qualified for Class Four? Because if you give this much for Class Seven Eight, do you give nothing for Class Four? Is that was a surprise because they gave stuff for half as much for um, California, New York. Okay, so that was yeah.
0: Okay, that's that's good to know. And then uh, producer wife, I don't know if how difficult this is going to be, but see if you can find anything related specifically to Class Four EV tax credits. That's part of the IRA, the federal credit. See if we can figure out what the heck it's supposed to be and i'll ask bing as well maybe i can't wait for it to give me the wrong answer (laughs) um does anybody else have thoughts around this and in the comments too if you have any info on this that we can dig into that would be amazing because but but what we know for sure it's at least seventy five hundred dollar tax credit that's like totally in the bag no problems
2: and then uh, i have the california HFIP thing i put that into the chat and then there's a new york one so those ones when you filter for um permitted class four vehicle. So you have to get the uh, vehicle, um, you know, file the paperwork and then say, uh, and then they approve it. So there's a delay. So they, it's not just like all class four vehicles. You have to like, I guess signed off, signed off on it. Yeah. And then same thing for, I think for New York, but the class four is clearly there are $60,000 of tax credit when you qualify.
0: Copy. go ahead, Billy.
2: My my
3: question is, how many other companies are actually competing for these credits? Because at some point, the funding for it will run out. But is that just like Rivian with their 100,000 Amazon trucks and the Nikola uh, EV1? Like what what else is there out there? Uh,
2: Nikola, they indicated they sold like a hundred vehicles. Or something like that. I think they produced 200 of the electric truck and sold a hundred. And they also said in this last earnings thing or with the uh, uh, SEC filing that they're at risk of running out of cash, you know, based on their burn rate and based on how much cash they have left, they have like six to 12 months of cash left. Um, but yeah, so there are, uh, <clears throat> you know, I have the list of all the semi-trucks and stuff who are going for these things, you know, you know Freightliner, um, Volvo, etc. So yeah, companies are going for that, those um, credits and stuff.
3: But it doesn't seem like there's going to be any companies that are planning on doing the the production capacity that you know Tesla should be coming out with for the Cybertruck because their stated goal is three hundred thousand, right? After it's ramped up, and that mm-hmm. should take about two years from when they start delivering, mm-hmm. should be at that run rate. So it seems like the line shares of these subsidies would be going to Tesla, kind of like how they've already gotten. They're going to be getting the lion share of the EV $7,500 tax credit just because they have so many out there for so much production mm-hmm. capacity.
2: Yeah. So even if you know, okay, you know, the the California and the, and the New York tax credits are not at a few billion bucks. It's only for a first few thousand, ten thousand vehicles, something like that. I still feel that there is that Tesla would want to create this, you know. Premium towing thing with the semi tech. Even if, even if the semi tech end up bumping up the price, you know, 40k, right? Then then it's it's worth it to because I think the the F450 costs like 120,000 dollars. F650 costs you know 150,000. They're very expensive. Actually, sometimes more expensive than the um, than the low low end uh, diesel full semi trucks, right? The the those premium mega pickup trucks are more expensive than the semis because the the diesel semis are in the 110 to one hundred fifty thousand 000 range and the other ones are that high high price so having something that is uh f450 F 350 F 550 competitor um to, to say we can do this thing and it moves a ton of stuff um it's worth it i think to have that be you know just to show that this is um to break the psychology of that it's these EV things are underpowered or whatever. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Uh, Any other uh, questions on this or or comments on the uh, classification of the trucks before we go into other parts of the Cybertruck? What do you guys think about the... uh, Go ahead, Hans. I was
1: just going to say that, you know, I know that Elon mentioned that the investor day that the 20 million vehicle target was including roughly 10 models but we do have to take into account the number of variations that exist inside of different models currently um and i wouldn't be surprised yeah if we do see like a van like a a medium duty van truck thing from tesla that does have a number of variants in it that covers a wide variety of commercial use cases and then Yeah, the same I expect to be true for, you know, there'll be a variety of compacts that are in Elon's mind are all subcategories of the compact model. Um, And so I don't expect it to be like 10 trim levels in 2030 that sell 20 million vehicles.
2: Yeah, one point I have on that is that in that diagram of um, their estimate of the future state, right? Uh, and total addressable market of three hundred million um, cyber trucks and and vans and and SUVs that presume in that three hundred million thing, the large vehicle segment <clears throat> if my my theory is that because they have this engine a uh, motor um, drivetrain superiority, which is something that they've had all along for all their vehicles uh, the, the sustainable that the that class of vehicles, those three hundred million vehicles is something that um, is um, something that they can get the dominance similar to the dominance that they have in the United States of the of seventy percent market share there or even higher because the bigger heavier vehicles semi trucks and these other big cyber trucks is something that plays to all of the engineering strengths that uh, that Tesla has of, of the big power, powerful vehicle you know the expedition replacements you know all those kind of things. Will be, I think, uh, something that Tesla will, will will dominate once they get the the ramp up of of production. Once they can execute on that, because at the low end, you know the you know the the China car maker, the byd and stuff like that, they'll sell for for no profit in order to try and hold on to that market share. But if they can't execute for the big truck, the semi, and and for the heavy Cybertruck, then that segment, which is half of the US market or more and that 300 million that, that Tesla gets 200 million of that. And then the the unit volume thing of oh 20 million vehicles if it's you know 10, 12 million small 25k vehicles versus 4 million, 6 million cyber trucks, cyber vans, heavy vehicles that are at the the 3x, 5x cost of like 75k to 125 K, that's um can be once I get to that 3 million vehicles of that, I get multiplied by 3, that's 9 million. That more profit, more uh, dominance from a fewer number of vehicles. Because I'm basically I'm introducing a high volume Model X, uh, Model S. I'm selling it for comparable prices, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I got volumes way up. That's not well understood. Yeah, the one caveat to that being
1: that the lithium supply necessary to build those larger vehicles also similarly increases and so if we run into a lithium or other battery raw materials bottleneck that definitely interferes with Tesla's ability to ramp to those levels of production of those larger larger form factor vehicles
3: my thought though is wouldn't it be wouldn't it kind of line up with Tesla's mission to go for those highest polluting vehicles first like that's why they're doing the semi it's you know such a small percent of sales but such a high percent of emissions I'm sure these you know F-350s 650s are all kind of up there in as far as how much pollution is actually emitted and how much CO2 is emitted for from those vehicles so I think by them going after these this market makes a lot of sense
1: yeah. I think if I remember correctly, those vehicles make up roughly 5% of the fleet, and yet they account for roughly 20% plus of total emissions. Um, and so, yeah, that's it, right on the money. There's quite a bit of emissions that come from those vehicles, partly because they have high utilization, and then also just because they are larger, larger vehicles that produce more emissions while they're running. Um, so the thing in my mind is, okay, when does taxi become feasible? Because if you can increase the utilization of a small battery pack in a normal size vehicle to 5x, then you can essentially offset the same percentage of carbon emissions with a taxi that you can with a larger vehicle, but you can do it in a much smaller battery pack, you can ramp up production a lot quicker, and then you can get to those heavy vehicles later on, in the ramp once you've solved the lithium supply bottlenecks. Um, but then, yeah, if we can't get to RoboTaxi in the near future, then it does, I would say, pull forward plans to go into larger
0: vehicles quicker. What do you guys think of the um, of the fact that the margin implications of everything we're talking about are going to be completely insane and nobody still gets it? <laughs> like how is that like just a conversation we're going through right now we're talking about the consumer side benefiting you know the the environment benefiting and all this stuff but then I, the, the thing that keeps coming back to my head is like from an investment perspective it just seems like tesla is continues to accumulate these technology advantages that are going to uh show up on the balance sheet and in the pnl at some point and and nobody's talking about it. And, and, the, and the rhetoric is always, well, the more cars they sell, the less margin they'll make. The more cars, and I keep hearing this over and over and over again now. And this is becoming like the, goal, the new goalpost of, of the bear thesis. It's like, well, yeah, they are going to get to 20 million. But at what margin? They're going to need 10,000 models, you know? I don't know. And this Cybertruck discussion we're having right now, it's like, how, how is this thing not going to sell at least a million units a year, probably more? Based on Tesla's own slide, if you break out the proportionality of the cars versus the entire market, they're saying Cybertruck could get the two or three million if it's proportionally correct, or if, it's like, uh, you know, if it's proportional to the rest of the business. you know. And, and if it really becomes this vehicle that's going to be able to pull 15,000 pounds and it's going to cost a fraction uh, to operate in a competing car and it offers all these advantages like every other Tesla does. I I don't know. Go ahead, Billy. I I saw you come off mute.
3: Yeah, because I was just thinking, you know, the the whole economic case for Semi is that it's economic suicide to not get it. Would it be similar? Because it's mostly companies and fleets buying these higher class vehicles. Would it be that same sort of economic suicide? Like if you don't get a Cybertruck, your company will be at a disadvantage compared to the companies that do have it. Like, it could be the same sort of business case justification where it it doesn't make fiscal sense to not get it.
0: So true. The economic uh, force and function that's already existing with the Model 3, as an example, versus a a gas car of a lower class. So it's it's cheaper to run over five years than a Camry in a lot of cases. Why wouldn't the same thing apply to a Cybertruck? Right, and and other vehicles as well. Go ahead, Brian.
2: So the um, the quick um, <clears throat> rule of thumb calculation in terms of the the efficiency <clears throat> would be that uh, if I'm charging outside and paying wholesale prices for electricity, then it's um, ballparking. It's like I'm paying a buck seventy for my diesel instead of five six bucks. Crazy. So if oil prices collapse, then just the efficiency thing. May not happen, but based on our current situation, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. And then, so then, if I'm driving sixty thousand miles, hundred thousand miles for the semi truck, then that difference of three bucks a gallon, you know, four bucks a gallon, that that shows up quickly. Um, but then there's the access of charging. Like if I buy my solar and I buy the battery packs to do the charging and do some stuff, am home charging. Then that one-time purchase is you know taking care of, you know, I like I bought two thousand gallons of fuel or my lifetime fuel package and I have a card where I get, you know, you know, all my uh, always free um charging. So it's how you how you calculate that out of of the, the benefit of it. So the work trucks, if I'm using it for forty thousand miles and I would have had um four thousand yeah four thousand gallons or something like that, like it's ten miles per gallon, something like that, then that is um, times five, you know, $20,000 versus, um, uh, per year or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. So, so then, um, the electricity on the, on the vehicle would be at that lower amount of like, um, um, you know, 4,000, uh, uh, probably like, you know, six thousand, eight thousand $8,000, something like that, you know, it, and if I, if I prepaid the it, and so yeah, prepaid all the solar and stuff like that, it's a one-time cost. Where I can can charge it overnight and stuff like that, so, so that changes those calculations. Um God, yeah. Billy.
3: And according to Adam Jonas, fifty to a hundred thousand. I mean, <laughs>
2: yeah. there's a Adam Jonas.
3: In that. <laughs> yeah. that's crazy.
0: Adam Jonas, let's get you on one of these panels, bro. Who would love to talk to you and uh, pick your brain more on that? To to me, it's it is a surefire. This thing is going to be such a giant surefire success. It's not even going to be a. It's not going to. It's um yeah. It's over. (laughs) Go ahead, Hans. Yeah,
1: I think about margin basically just as a function of the competitive landscape. And so the real question as far as what are the terminal margins that they can charge is, okay, who's able to compete with a product that offers the same amount of economic value that a Tesla offers at a similar price point? if you don't see any competitors who are going to be able to deliver vehicles in volume that offer the same type of economics, then Tesla's ability to charge margins to where they actually capture the economic value that they're providing rather than that going to their end customer is increased. So yeah, I mean, that's what when I read Drew Dixon's threads or some of these other people, and they're just assuming mean reversion, which, you know, that's not, I mean, there's a a huge historical precedent to assume that mean reversion is gonna happen. But that's why I watch the Joe Justice channels and the Sandy Monroe channels so intently is because I'm trying to see, okay, exactly how incredible is Tesla's technology and culture lead And then i want to see who else is out there who is able to compete with tesla on those levels you know the thing that you posted earlier this week farzad that people just continually forget about and they don't go back to is that list of top engineering employers Who wants to go work at GM? Who wants to go work at these other places? We really need to see that data globally, not just for the US because that is a US centric thing. I wanna know globally, where do the best engineers from China wanna go work? Where do the best engineers from Europe wanna go work? Like that would be a great data point for us to have because I do know that there are a lot of international employers who are sucking up a lot of extremely smart talent Um, But based on what Sandy said about the actual manufacturing technology going into the BYDs is not very impressive. You know, that tells me that they're going to struggle to ever be able to compete with Tesla on the low end with, you know, Tesla is coming to the low end with a gross margin advantage based on the innovative manufacturing technology that they're bringing to the table. Whereas BYD is making things the same way that Legacy Auto, who's where they learned how to make those cars from. And so that doesn't mean that, you know, by 2030, that they're gonna be able to produce a $25,000 model electric vehicle that is compelling, and only cost them seventeen dollars to $20,000 to produce. They might be able to make that vehicle, but their COGS will be $23,000, $24,000, and they're going to have razor-thin margins, with, which means with, that... With tesla- government subsidies. With government subsidies, yeah, and made-in-China labor. Um, and so, you know, those are structural differences in the businesses that are not one-to-one. These are the first principles, facts of... The way that Tesla is architected in comparison to their competitors, and th- these are the things that analysts are
0: completely missing and unable to see. Yeah, and and I think I think the big thing, and we'll go to Ryan next here. And the big thing here is even within that context, the the feedback out is like, well, w- that that doesn't mean a fifty PE. I'm like, okay, so what does it mean then when you're when you're doing a hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred million dollars in of net income with your car selling at twenty million per year, you have your software on top of it, you're getting uh subsidies from the government for uh for mm-hmm. manufacturing batteries uh domestically, then you layer on energy and you layer on any other uh like okay, so great, it's not a 50 PE on, but it's it's a 20 PE on two hundred million. uh million net income that's still a four trillion dollar company on the low end like that's, remember, that's the kind of you know uh, their cost basis of comparison for all these reductions Not financial advice
1: <laughs> are yeah not financial advice are from cars made split evenly between u.s production and chinese production so you do have some cheaper chinese labor in there but a lot of the base is american labor that is very expensive and so as we continue to build out factories in places california. like mexico yeah not yeah not even just the u.s but california labor um so anyways that's that's one more piece of the pie just to factor so in true.
2: Go ahead, Brian. So one thing the in terms of like anyone catching up or scaling. So for me, it's it's less about the 20 million vehicles, although I think they'll get beyond that, is that the current demand for globally for large trucks is 4 million per year. It's uh, 270,000 in the United States, um, 500,000 in Europe, five hundred sixty thousand in Japan, and uh, close to 2 million, you know, 1.5 to 2 million depending on the year in in china so four million vehicles let's say one megawatt pack you know some are smaller some are bigger let's just do it easier four terawatt hours right so in order to electrify all the large trucks it's four terawatt hours right you're talking Versus semis
0: in this case when you say large semis. truck you mean semis semis yeah. right
2: semis. yeah so it's this 10 million cyber truck class pickup truck large vehicle type vehicles per year which is about you know six million or something like that you know three million pickups three million large large vehicles you know total 10 million in the world each one has a hundred kilowatt hour pack might be 200 kilowatt let's say 100 then then that's a uh 10 million that's a one terawatt hour right 10 million with one terawatt hour if it's two, 200 it's a two terawatt hours so in order to fulfill that demand, you have to go up to this massive number of terawatt hours. And you have to then half as many of those, maybe, maybe a third, maybe as many are mega packs, fixed storage, right? Or you're doing some kind of grid thing, where, you know, you're making a bunch of natural gas plants or something like that. <clears throat> but if there's a large chunk of that is fixed storage, sold and other things, then you have this also massive increase on that side. So you that 30 ter- uh, 20 terawatt hours per year to a large chunk of that, you know, uh, two thirds is large trucks, light, medium trucks uh, and the packs to make the mega pack charging network. So right now the Tesla has a supercharging network. There's gonna be this mega charging network, which is uh, um, Warren Buffett paid $8.2 billion for pilot, which is the, the, uh, the truck charging thing, 650 truck charging things. But, it, you know, the massive amount of, of electricity at each one in order to handle a thousand trucks or something like that, each charging something per year, per, per day, that is, you know, tens of megawatts, you know, hundreds of megawatts that you're, you're doing off that thing. There was a calculation from Lisbon factor on that thing. So 20% of, of, of world oil is going to go to electricity in some form in order to move over all these trucks and vehicles. So then if Tesla goes from 50,000 vehicles in 2024 with the 40 gigawatt hours from from Nevada, and then uh, separate 10 to 20 gigawatt hours from Lathrop for the megapacks, that's to get to 50,000 vehicles per year. To get to 500,000 vehicles, that's 10 times as many. I need to 10 times as many factories or, or expand the factories. And I gotta go for 400 gigawatt hours uh, plus, of, for the trucks and another 200 gigawatt hours for the mega packs to go to another 10 X 5 million, a mix of 4 million large trucks and some uh, smaller trucks. I, I need to have, you know, that the uh, terawatt hours of stuff. So who's going to get the terawatt hours, you know, Tesla's mm-hmm. already at over hundred gigawatt hours last year. The next guy's half BYD, you know, the other guys are at, you know, like five, 10, you know, making their small things, they got to scale up 10x to get where Tesla is. And they got to get truck technology that they're five years or more behind in, 10 years more behind. And Tesla's moving away, a moving target, not just here. So the mega charging network, like if, if they have the mega charging network, who is the truck guy who's going to say, I'm going to buy a truck without a charging network, you know, from some local truck? Yeah. maybe.
0: But Brian, what you're forgetting is that Mary Barra is asking people to just mm. voluntarily lay off. So obviously they're going to yeah. be there to take the rain here, Brian. Right. Of course, mm-hmm. Hans, go for it. <laughs> um, I was just going to
1: say that, and you know, that's that. sub segmenting the market out and saying that you know we're just going to replace the existing number of trucks with electric trucks that the EV trucks are not actually going to surpass the economics of rail and have a significantly increased demand for semi in the long run, which, yeah, I mean, the the overall tonnage of lithium and battery materials that are going to be needed to complete this transition of the world to a sustainable energy economy in the
0: future it really is mind-boggling. Yeah. Hans, you wanted to, to hit materials, because I think this is Billy saying this is probably a good segue for us to go into it. What do you think?
1: Yeah, so Martin Vieja um, posted a tweet just a couple hours ago this morning that said, if you just want one takeaway from Investor Day, make it this one. A sustainable economy will result in less mining and extraction than we currently do. Zero rare earths are needed for this transition, and too many smart people that he knows of believe the opposite of this um while so yes i think it's true and i'm I'm never did quite get confirmation if the existing amount of extraction that they're talking about included oil and natural gas i assume that it did um, that that's that's pretty incredible but what it does mean is that we have to completely redo all of our mining infrastructure because it's not mining the same things it's mining different things than we're currently mining, it's extracting different things than we're currently extracting. And so the amount of total infrastructure capex that's involved in transitioning us from extracting all the things that we're extracting today to extract all the things that we need to be extracting in the future to move to the sustainable energy economy, it's just a, a, an incredible amount of yeah capex and infrastructure that needs to occur. Um, But the rare earth thing is important because that was one of the limiting factors, the bottlenecks that a lot of people had identified was that, hey, you know, there's not enough of the neodymium, dysprosium, other rare earth elements that are used to make permanent magnet motors. The permanent magnet motors are the most efficient electric motors. um, If you don't have to actually electrically charge the rotor and have coils in that, part of the electric motor um, to create your magnetic field, then you don't have the losses that go along with doing a, you know, an electromagnet versus a permanent magnet. Then you get a little bit more efficiency out of the motor. Um, of course, efficiency is incredibly important when you're going with an EV drivetrain. And so if possible, it's all of the high performance motors that Tesla has put out have all been these permanent magnet motors as compared to, they have offered induction motors in a number of their vehicles, but those have never been the performance level vehicles. Um, And so for anything where you've got high load, like the semi or the Cybertruck, or any sort of performance Model 3, Model Y, uh, Model X, Model S, and those are all going to use permanent magnet motors. And there's going to be lots of those applications in the future as we move to the sustainable energy economy. And so the the fact that they specifically talked about at their investor day presentation that they were going to create a permanent magnet electric motor that used no rare earths was pretty mind blowing. Um, a lot of people that I've been kind of having some back channel discussions with are thinking that there could potentially be a connection between that and a company called Neuron Magnetics, which is an offshoot of a group from the University of Minnesota who's been doing research into iron nitrite magnets, which um, they're magnets that have potentially better performance than um, permanent like rare earth magnets like neodymium, but they are we don't have currently a technology that is known to mass manufacture. So this is basically, from what I understand, at the same place where forty six eighty dry battery electro technology was when Tesla initially purchased. Um, someone may have to help me out with Maxwell. Maxwell, Maxwell. yes. Um, when they purchased Maxwell, but the the science is there that. Iron. basically what you're doing is you're infusing nitrogen atoms into the structure of just regular iron and then that makes it easier uh, or it increases the magnetic capacity of the iron to a point where the performance surpasses rare earth magnets and so there's a couple of different processes that they have been playing with to be able to create these iron nitrite batteries. Um, But none of them have, it's, it's all lab scale stuff, essentially. None of them have been scaled up to commercial or industrial quantities. But one of the other cool things about the iron nitrite batteries is that they can be magnetized in place. So you can go ahead and have, like you can make the magnet and then you can assemble it into whatever Thing that you're going to use it for in this case an electric motor and then you can magnetize the iron nitrite inside the motor instead of having to work with the rare earth magnets they're magnetized at the factory and then you have this very strong magnet that you're having to try and assemble into a motor and of course it's wanting to stick to anything that hasn't magnetic field and smash things and that's not fun so you have to have a lot of fixtures and stuff and so iron nitrite potentially even eliminates the need to work with a strong magnet until it is located in the exact position that you want it to be in the final product that you're making. Go, Billy.
3: I just had a quick question of how far along that company is, you said, it was kind of lab scale. Um, like compared to their acquisition of Maxwell, Tesla's acquisition of Maxwell, they were just getting to the point where it was becoming commercially viable, right? Like coming off the bench, is that yeah, where they are?
1: It's hard for me to say at this point, based on the limited amount of research that I've done. Um, there are some papers that are out there about this. There have been there's some marketing material that Neuron has made. Um, so Neuron is the company that is made up of people from the University of Minnesota, so a bunch of professors and students who've been working on this project. Um, so they did create a, a commercial offshoot of it. Um, rumors that I've heard are that they do not specifically intend to try and manufacture at the scale that Tesla would need. And so there would have to be some sort of licensing. And so it may be that Tesla is taking on the challenge of commercializing the manufacturing of iron nitrite batteries at scale Um, but the fact that tesla specifically made these claims about using these permanent magnet non-rare earth clean energy, or yeah clean earth um, batteries in their motors for gen 3 platform indicates that either they figured something out on their own or there is already communication between neuron and tesla um so yeah, that's, that's what I have been able to glean so far. And like I said, that's based on rumors, not actual confirmed facts.
4: Yeah. Let me ask you guys a quick question. Cause I was quite surprised by this tweet by Martin, uh, because what I understood is that there will be no rare earth metals included at all. Not in the motors, which was yeah, clearly laid out, but also not in the batteries. But I think we do use some in the batteries currently, right? Or am I wrong?
0: what I don't think uh, he said anything about the batteries right or am I wrong well that's
4: how I interpreted it because he said that for this transition we will need no rare earth metals
1: he does reference that slide where they're talking about the motor specifically um and honestly I don't know what type of rare earth content there is or is not in batteries
0: go go to the next couple slides producer wife let's see if there's anything about uh, a sustainable energy economy, less mineral extraction. Because okay.
4: lithium iron material.
3: phosphate isn't rare earth, right?
4: That's what I think, yeah. But still, uh, NMC does have cobalt, yeah. at least, which yeah. I think is qualified as a rare earth, right? Is cobalt the only rare earth? Rare earth uh, go ahead, Hans.
1: I don't think cobalt is considered a rare earth element. So those are... Um, yeah, neobim- neodymium, dysprosium, and okay. Let's
0: see, any of a group of chemically similar metallic elements comprising yeah. the lanthanide series
2: and scandium and yttrium. So I think the the Toyota Prius uh, batteries had some lanthium in them in the day. I don't think there's anything in the iron phosphate batteries. I don't think there's anything in the uh nickel and the whatever ones that the tesla's using i don't think they have any um rare earth um someone else is saying just power trade only but
1: yeah well, i'm gonna hit cobalt up a, is typically up a... referred to as a conflict mineral um but that's not the same as a yeah rare earth element
0: i want to dm jordan guess again say uh, which rare earth uh minerals are in tesla batteries That's what he says just got jordan on tap y'all <laughs> 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 manganese might be one uh go ahead brian
2: oh um yeah so i think um you know they, they got cobalt all of in the iron phosphate batteries and and also you know the thing is one great research hunt, and then the other thing was that um <clears throat> something that that tesla has is that because they have the most market share and are using the most batteries and stuff, anyone who has new battery, new component, new tech that would make this better would say, okay, I got to sell to the leader. One, Tesla adopted faster. They'll go, if it actually is better, they'll scale it up quicker, right? So if you have breakthrough tech, you definitely want to take it to Tesla or or SpaceX, right? And, And SpaceX did it for, you know for the ground to earth satellite stuff and they did it for their um argon ion engine stuff like that so they will take the, the leading edge bleeding edge stuff and then they'll roll it in within you know months a year how along uh, far faster than anyone else so all the the new patents all the new stuff goes to them so it's, it's like um intel being the lead in the day before they lost stuff to tsmc that you know People coming up with uh, germanium, you know, others, other kind of semiconductors, and you know, Intel would take that leading edge and keep adopting it.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I think I think my biggest takeaway from this whole thing is just the the ease of finding the materials, the affordability of getting those materials, uh, minimizing or completely eliminating conflict minerals as much as humanly possible, uh, and then. Uh, I'm assuming these materials are also going to be relatively easy to refine and process over time with technologies that they'll, that they'll build. Basically means that Tesla is securing a supply chain for the next generation of powertrains and, uh, and, and drivetrains that is removing the, the complexities. It's very, you know, I think of it as no different than when Model, Model S first launched and it had a thousand options and 19 paint colors or whatever. Now you're down to like this this thing that you can buy, and then you the only options are very minimal, paint related or software, and so it's obvious that Tesla is applying the same sort of thought process to the drivetrain and the powertrain specifically in this case, which with the rare earth stuff, it seems like um, that's going to be uh, very beneficial to simplify everything as humanly possible, which is going to maximize speed. And minimize costs and that's how you win long term especially in the compact car market uh, so it's going to be very exciting did, did they say if this uh, new uh powertrain is going to be in cybertruck with without any rare earths do you guys remember if that was mentioned on investor there was a gen three maybe it was just gen three
4: yeah that's what i think i don't remember Okay, it was mentioned for cybertruck it's in the but it's discussion on the, the new, new generation okay what I wanted to say also about this engine, if this is a without earth metals, um, possibly it can be used for uh, for wind farms, for wind generators. And that would be Hans cool. loves yeah. wind
0: generators. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They 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 definitely could, but Hans, you you brought it up in the wrong forum, man. He's gonna to come to your house no that actually was a point that i made is what like if they
1: really (laughs) figured this out it's the one thing that might get them into wind generators like if they've got a significantly more efficient permanent magnet motor um and they have a monopoly on the iron nitride technology that it's the one thing that i could see that might get them there so So hopefully not that way i don't have to eat a shoe
0: yeah (laughs) Thank you for reminding us, Cuba, uh, Hans is going to eat a shoe here. Um, Billy, go ahead and then we'll uh, we'll start a Q&A. Uh, go for it.
3: Just to piggyback off that um, wind turbine comment. The reason they're doing the the $30 a month in Texas for the subsidized charging was because of wind, right? Like Texas has so much wind blowing at night that it doesn't have anywhere to go, that it's going to be going into these car batteries, right? So maybe that is just another money-making opportunity for Tesla if they have that magnet breakthrough.
0: Yeah, good call. Great call. There's just so many different verticals. The, the, the thing that's, I don't think, well understood by Wall Street analysts specifically because they treat this as a car company and Tesla's obviously anything but, is that the engineering efforts, I believe, that Tesla's putting into making stuff, period, is going to allow them to get into anything that moves or stores energy or uses energy. That seems like a gigantic market. <laughs> so it's not just vehicles, it's everything. It's everything with a motor, everything with a battery, and everything that basically moves, uh, especially if it's uh, transportation-based. So who knows, man? Who knows what other verticals we could see? Uh, Hans and then q and I just wanted to shout out, so all that
1: research is not just mine. I, Cleaner Watt was the first one that I saw mention Neuron Magnetics. I have since talked to some other people who were also aware of them at or before that time, uh, Dusty Green, whose handle on Twitter is at Rusty Road. Um, I've had some conversations with him. So these are the people that I've started piecing this together from, and I wanted to make sure that people were aware of that here on the, on the interwebs.
0: Shout out everybody.
2: I wanted to ahead, pop up one quick thing. It's non-Tesla related, but it's uh, kind of YouTube related. Is that there was an announcement from uh, Microsoft Germany that uh, Chat GPT 4 or GPT 4 could come out next week, and oh. that it will handle video. So, oh my god! So you know, in terms of like uh, generating videos and stuff like that. Well, it was
0: GPT- nice of knowing everybody uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> today. Will be the last video that you'll ever see on this channel. <laughs> oh man, that's scary. Okay, yeah, I'm excited to see it. Glad to see it. thanks for making my day better brian yeah, no worries <laughs> appreciate that all right let's uh show our poll that we ran earlier uh in the stream uh we asked a, a very simple question uh producer wife's gonna show the results here shortly and then uh before we get into the- oh thank you okay but, but before we do that uh the, the, what, there was some shout outs i wanted to do uh, i was at a middle school today doing a career fair job fair where i was uh explaining to kids what I did for a living and it just so happens that my passion project is my living, which is freaking cool. Uh, so I'm a youtuber and people were asking me, how many subs do you have? And I was like like 50,000 they're like, oh, that's pretty good. Have you heard of Mr. Beast? I'm like screw you bro like he's got like a million trillion freaking subscribers. but there were a few uh, kids that wanted to be shout out on the YouTube channel, which I'm sure they won't see this, but I'll do this anyway because I'm a man of my word. I want to shout out Grayson and uh, Isaiah. I want to shout out uh Hot and Spicy, H A W T, and I want to shout out the Chicken Children. <laughs> so shout out to these groups. I hope y'all get all the subscribers. If they're on YouTube, go subscribe to these uh or don't, I don't know. I don't know what's appropriate here, but shout out to these <laughs> to these kids. It was awesome having uh talking to them and getting them caught up on some YouTube stuff. So it was, it's just amazing how much kids love YouTube. And now with Brian's guidance, I'm not even going to need to be on YouTube because GPT-4 is going to do everything for them. So sorry, kids, for getting your hopes up for being a YouTuber in the future. All right, let's uh, post the, uh, <laughs> the poll results for the Cybertruck, and then we'll get into Q&A. So we asked a very simple question. Um, are you buying a Cybertruck? And what's interesting about this... Um, this viewership is that a lot of us uh, that are on these panels and a lot of us that are viewing a lot of Tesla content are Tesla owners, uh, but there's also a significant portion of them that are not. 67% of of the viewership from today are buying a Cybertruck. 32% aren't, 1% don't exist. Uh, Poll complete 468 votes. Uh, So thank you all very much for voting. Uh, The first 45 minutes or so of this chat was all Cybertruck related. So if you are interested in viewing that, scroll back. Uh, or just view this after we uh, stop the recording. Uh, and uh, before we get into Q&A, just a reminder that uh, if you do, chicken children greater than chicken's genius. Oh, chicken genius. Shout out, chicken genius. We love you, buddy. We love you. Um, yeah, if you do want to join the private stream that's going to go live right after this one, it's going to be member only. Click on join right below this video to get access to uh, uh member only content and you'll also get access to our discord channel where we talk about all kinds of stuff like this we nerded out heavy today which was freaking awesome and we had uh over almost 1200 people listening live at once which is mind blowing to me so thank you all very much for joining us today but if you do want to nerd out more consider becoming uh uh joining right below this video all right let's do some q and a for the last 15 minutes or so and then we'll go to member only uh first question please Ba-ba-da-da. Hanif, I hope that's how you pronounce it. Question: Which Tesla will be the final nail in the coffin for GM Cybertruck or the compact Tesla? Um, GM makes most of its money with the Cybertruck and S- or its pickup trucks and SUVs, so I wouldn't be surprised the Cybertruck is the nail, is the coffin, <laughs> and then the compact is the nail. How do you guys? How do you guys view that? Any additional comments? Oh, I right, think it's Cybertruck.
2: Cybertruck. Yeah, Cybertruck's a okay. thing.
0: Everybody else agree? I think we're all in agreement.
2: Yeah, yeah because
4: they would have to survive until the compact comes out to for it to be the nail. Yeah,
0: we'll we'll see how uh, how much uh, the the government wants to bail them out. That's really the only the only uh, variable here and how long they'll last. But we'll see. Uh, you know, they they might just keep asking people to leave that they don't even know exists. So who knows? Maybe they'll, that's how they'll fix themselves. Next question, please. Mark, question: How long is it going to take? To make five hundred thousand cyber trucks, great question. Um let's go around the horn, Hans. You go first, so and then we'll go around the horn. What do you think? Like Can you restate nap? the question? Sorry. No, it's all good. Uh, how long is it going to take to make five hundred thousand cyber trucks?
1: <laughs> Two years from the beginning of production, so I think that they'll be ramped up, hopefully hopefully 50, or 250,000 in 2024 maybe maybe 200 maybe a little less than 200 maybe the between this year and the end of 2024 250,000 and then another 250,000 in 2025 so okay. maybe two and a half years billy
3: really? i'm going to say 2026 for cumulative production because The ramp, I think, is going to be a lot um, slower than we've seen for um, like Y and 3 because it's just so many new technologies going into it with the exoskeleton and everything. So I think it's going to be like 10,000 this year at most, maybe 100,000 next year. I think it's going to be a slower ramp up than other Tesla products, but still better than any other competition.
4: Okay. Kuba? i'm gonna have faith i'm gonna say sometime in 25 because i think they've been in development with the cyber for quite some time so i'm hoping that they've already figured out some of the issues on paper and even some test lines so hopefully it won't be that bad
2: right <coughs> yeah um i can easily see you know the 2026 unfortunately happening but I, i'm also thinking that 2025 will, will be the case because um yeah <clears throat> you know, because for the reasons i've already stated okay
0: uh i'm going to give an answer on my behalf i'm going to say end of 2026 i'm going to be a little bit more bearish than y'all uh and i'm going to give an answer on behalf of adam jonas and say 2032. next question please <laughs> <laughs> Mark, uh, will Star uh, Starlink help to pr- navigate autonomous cars in the future, like fly by wire done remotely? Ooh, uh,
2: how do you guys think about this question? So, um, I don't think that you'd want to have that lag uh, because Starlink, um, you know, 400 miles away, right? So you'd have uh, you know uh, some lags in doing it, and also, you know, any disruption in communication and and that would mess things up. But um, Starlink can add uh, centimeter scale GPS because of, uh, there was a a thing we could add software and get highly accurate GPS. And if you get like 20,000, 100,000 up there, then you'd have, you know, um, hyper accurate, hyper secure GPS. So so Starlink will change how you have robots or self-driving vehicles in the wild. It will be you, you have something in the lab that you, you know I need to precise position, precise whatever. You can make the whole world have that kind of you know accurate location stuff.
0: Any other thoughts from the panel?
3: From my understanding, the it won't be super helpful in like urban areas where I think robotaxis will probably be used the most because the whole benefit of Starlink starts going away when you get more condensed um, or more density of people using the, the technology. So I don't know if it would make sense because it would seem weird for them to use it in just in rural areas and not in urban areas where they're gonna be making the bulk of their money from that autonomous driving.
1: Okay. There was a really good interview the other day on uh Friday with Herbert He had a guest on Julian. Uh, He's a French guy, pilot, and also a developer who's got a startup that does some really cool stuff. Um, He's made a way to visualize all the Starlink satellites. But anyways, he's pretty deep into all the Starlink tech, and he said that he expects... Tesla to integrate a an in-glass antenna on their future vehicles to actually be able to do a lot of direct communication with Starlink. So uh, I think this is the case that he made um, was a pretty strong case. And so I would say that it's highly likely that at least Tesla, if not other vehicles, will have some integrations with Starlink. Now whether that is actual remote flyby wire technology or if it's just some more of yeah location assistance or some other things, that's kind of remains to be seen in my opinion. Um but yeah I definitely agree that Starlink will be involved
0: in some ways in that. Okay. Any other thoughts on this topic? All right, next question, please. Ta-da-da. And Per Johan question. He's got a little symbol because he's a member of the community. Thank you so much, man, for supporting the channel. As EVs get more common, with the less demand for oil, lower gas prices, and lower used ICE car prices, and so a little rebirth for. Okay, let, let me read this question. As EVs get more common, uh. Will the, well, the lower demand for oil, lower gas prices, and lower use ice car prices, and so you'll have a little rebirth for ICEs, meaning that the cost of ownership, because there's going to be so little demand for the oil, is going to cause gas cars to be uh, popular again. How do you guys think about this question? I have some thoughts, but
2: I'm curious to see what you all think. So, um, like I said, you can know, eliminate the, the oil for, for trucks and things like that and, and transportation. They had the, the, the slide. In the thing where they said, okay, so much for transportation, so much for HVAC and stuff like that. But the thing is, then you still hit the base of you need to use the oil for plastics, and there's other uses for for oil. Um, the other thing would be that if you get uh, robo trucking and robo taxi, and you have the hyper efficiency, so you take the cost of uh, of supply chain from 10% of goods that you buy from Amazon and other places down to one percent right? You have this massive economic boost uh, uh, across the board, value-added tax of 9% cut. And and then other things in terms of movement, other things become far more efficient, far better. That would be a massive economic boom. So ARK Invest in their uh, big ideas thing talks about getting to a $400 trillion economy with just you know generative AI and other things there, and some robotics, which is an extra doubling, right? So if you start getting this if things really start hitting and you start boosting it up, you can go beyond to growing the economy 10X and and doing some other stuff like that. So then oil, even though you drop it down by demand by half, say, if you double the economy, quadruple the economy, uh, oil demand could then go back up because you've um, um, made the overall economy so big. It's just like we use 15 times more oil than we did during World War II, right? So it's... um, if your economy is huge, then you use more.
4: Any other thoughts? I think you could argue that as uh, the demand for oil decreases, the supply might also decrease. So not necessarily that the price might stay on the similar level, but I, I it's not a strong argument that I have for that. But it's just one possibility. Okay.
1: Funds there are good. definitely a lot of sources that don't work out economically. Below a certain price point, point. and so yeah, uh, I would definitely say that supply will decrease below, below certain prices. I think, you know, it's an interesting thing to think about. The main path forward for ice manufacturers who have their eyes open is still autonomy. That the value of an autonomous ice car is significantly greater than the value of a non-autonomous ice car, um, and so any vehicle manufacturers who are able to quickly follow Tesla in their ability to roll out a robo-taxi or even just, you know, a good level three or level four system um, has the opportunity to definitely pad their cash flow and bridge their transition to EV. So anyways, that's, that's kind of the first place my mind goes to when I think about that question.
3: My ever. thought on it was that just, it's going to depend on policy because we know that, you know, oil is subsidized so heavily today and especially on Investor Day, they talked about how, hey, this transition to EVs or a fully sustainable economy will be cheaper than just doing business as usual. It depends if people vote for that kind of future. It depends on if our politicians want to continue subsidizing oil as much as they have. And because, I mean, there's that oil is only super cheap because we're all paying for it you know whether we use it or not in in some degrees so i think it really depends on what governments of the world decide to do
0: the way i think about it is the the uh ev is going to be cheaper to manufacture long term because there's less parts involved so that's one number two is the less gas cars on the road the more gas stations go out of business because they literally have no customers coming to their gas stations, especially if they don't have a charger. And the less less of those you have, the less, uh, the less um, convenient it is to have a gas car and the less convenient it is to have a gas car, the less incentive there is for somebody to buy a gas car. So that's how I think about this. So I think once that ball gets rolling, it, you will not be able to reverse it. It doesn't matter how much you subsidize it for the literally the only place you can charge your gas cars at a gas station where you can charge your ev basically anywhere so that in, that in itself will ensure that ice ice will never come back just because it doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense that's how i think about it all right let's do a couple more next question and tony question do you think that installation of public facing tesla uh, level 2 chargers will outpace superchargers? What opportunities does level two network present for Tesla as far as cross marketing and sales? So the level two chargers for those are not interested is basically like a slower charger that won't get you up to uh, say 80% in 30 minutes or 20 minutes, but it'll give you a charge that's pretty good. It's like an overnight charge like at a hotel or something. Uh, How do you guys think about that question? Any
2: comments? Any thoughts? like i i see this mega charging level coming in so the you have superchargers the, the level two chargers where you have like everyone's solar house has stuff or, or you have a business with some solar it'll be there it will um make things available when you have a lot of time where it's like okay i'm stopping someplace i'm, I'm staying there overnight you know hotels other things like that so that will be there but i think the the you know, you don't have um, slow fueling uh, gas stations, right? So you'll go to, you know, if you have the mega charging thing, you'll go to the faster charging thing. Uses. Yeah. Other than at, at home, you know, where it's like it's overnight. So that's the at-home market, I think.
0: Okay. Any other thoughts on this one?
3: I think long-term it will outpace um, the superchargers when the cost of electricity gets so flippin' cheap that, businesses will be handing it away kind of like Wi Fi, you know, where they're trying to get customers in for any reason. Um, That's kind of what Tony Seba was saying back in his rethink x a few years ago, well, that once that cost of electricity is so low, there's going to be these novel ways that we can use electricity that people aren't just like how Wi Fi is today, like to get people into your coffee shop, they'll put these level two chargers in front of a Starbucks just to get you in the door.
0: That's a great point. I, I agree with that, too. All right, let's do one more, and then we'll go to members only. And I always wanted to say only fans, <laughs> but I'm not going to say. it. Jay Lizard, question. Jay Lizard, long-time listener. appreciate you, brother. Could not uh, using rare, rare earth metals in Tesla lead to more of it being available for semiconductor chips drastically lowering the prices? Interesting question. Because a, a, lot, a lot of those rare earth metals are used in uh, chips as well. So opening up the supply chain, well, I guess it depends, right? Because if the supply goes up for those, because you're still going to be, you still need those rare earths for the battery and those uh, very. I don't know. I guess they change their their uh, their strategy completely on the motors, but the battery should still use some of them. So it depends what the net, what what is the total demand in the next ten years and how does that influence. Uh, the supply of those rare earth, right? That's how I think about it. How do you guys think about it? Stuff to think. Through. I'm reading this as
1: him saying that the price of chips will go down because there will be an increased supply of rare oh, earth metals that are available for chips. Um, Sorry, I think that 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 makes sense. The question is, what percentage of the chip cost? is due to rare earth metal so it might make them cheaper um but if rare earth metals are only one percent of the cost of a chip then it, it won't be a huge noticeable difference
2: i don't know what do you think sorry Ryan? i misread that i think it, it could also be um you know do you use rare earths more for uh, power chips or for other kinds of semiconductor chips um you know d- d- like germanium other thing like that or, you know like so um it will have an impact but um i don't think it's as much as you know a recession or something like that i think it'd be you know that there's bigger impacts that than that affected you know long term the shortage thing is taking off the table so you know but i'm not sure how much like i said how much an impact right now i don't
1: the other thing is if Tesla can scale up this new iron nitrite, assuming you know, presumably iron nitrite battery, or sorry, iron nitrite magnet to be used in all of their motors, and that is the motor that ends up getting us to 20 million units, that's a lot of capacity. And that means those magnets are probably significantly cheaper to make than any type of rare earth magnet. And so it probably ends up then being introduced into the supply chain for chips as well. And so they would probably
0: convert over to iron nitrite uh, magnets for chip making. Okay. Any last comments before we wrap this sucker up and go to member only? All right. Well, thank you all very much for uh, sticking with us today. Uh, Super... Very nerdy panel. I love this one. This one was like super nerdy, intense. I loved it. I hope it was of value and informative to everybody listening. Uh, We're going to switch over to our member-only stream now, which will be on YouTube as well. And then if you do become a member by clicking on join right below this video, you'll have access to come on these public chat uh, forums as well as viewing and joining the uh, the member-only content that we're gonna be going to in about two minutes here. Uh, so I wanna thank everybody that's taken part today. Thank you so much for supporting the channel. Hit the like, just like Producer Wife is uh, is asking you all to do if you're enjoying the stream. Um, Hans, Billy, Brian, Kuba, thank you all so much for joining me today. Thank you to everybody in the comment section and watching at home for always keeping the comment section super respectful and filled with great commentary and questions. We, I think we have the best community on the internet. I'm, not, I'm biased, but I think, I think it's true. And then, uh, mods, thank you so much, again, for keeping the comment section awesome and ensuring everybody's having a good time. And last but not least, of course, producer wife, thank you so much. Great job. Love you, baby. You're a rock star. And uh, we'll see you guys around. We'll switch it over to member only. If you're uh, joined already, you'll see it come up. And then you'll also be able to connect your YouTube directly to Discord to join us there as well. All right, we'll see you in a little bit. Take it easy, everybody. Bye-bye.